Psalm 22 is, is a, such an important psalm. I'm just going to pray quick and, and uh, give it to the Lord. Father, um, we love you. We love your word. We're grateful for this fellowship that uh, Pastor Dwight's been teaching for over 40 years, uh, these very things. And here it is coming to pass right before our eyes. Uh, thank you, Lord. And uh, we lift up this morning's study and pray that you'd uh, put in us that joy, Lord, that, um, that you had. And you went to the cross for the joy that was set before you. And so, Lord, I pray you'd put in us that joy so we can endure uh, what we need to endure until you come. And we lift this all up in Jesus' name. So, uh, Psalm 22, and um, I'm just going to read through it, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent. I'm thinking about the 40 years of Dwight teaching. That's been awesome. Um, uh, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, and they trusted in you and delivered them. And you delivered them, and they cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. And those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. He Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts, and I was cast upon you from birth and from my mother's womb, and you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones, and they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild wild oxen. And you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly, and I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. 
And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. And all those who go down to dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. And they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born and that he has done this. Psalm 22, from the very outset, we recognize, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right from Matthew 27, when he was, uh, it's actually the middle, it's the fourth saying from the cross. And um, it's good that uh, what I'm going to miss here this morning as I'm trying to move it along on Good Friday, Dwight's going to be going right through that, I'm sure, with the seven sayings from the cross. And it's an excellent Bible study if you can make Good Friday in a few weeks. Um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me in, in Matthew 27? And in Psalm 22, though, is, is a prophetic psalm like, they, like many of the psalms are. But this one's a little bit different. Um, at the time of David, around 1000 B.C., the capital punishment of crucifixion didn't exist. Nobody was doing that, not of any public record. It wasn't until about 500 years later, and these are roughly uh, plus or minus a few years, um, about 500 B.C. that the Persians first began to use crucifixion as a capital punishment. And some of the descriptions here in Psalm 22 um, fit nothing else when it comes to this and the fact that it's a prophetic psalm. It's not even as much a prophetic psalm about a witness account like from what the the, the Gospels, the four Gospels, have their account of what they saw, the testimony of what they saw on the cross. And Isaiah 53 also has that the details that aren't even found in the Gospels about what took place on the cross. But Psalm 22 is from the perspective of him on the cross and a thousand years before it happened. Um, verse 1, he was forsaken. And he was indeed forsaken by the Father. And he groans and he roars, saying, Why? Why forsaken? Why no help? Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says that uh, the Lord God has uh, of purer eyes than can behold evil and cannot look upon wickedness. And God has to turn away. God has to forsake him, his own Father whom he spent eternity with and spends eternity with and his, his relationship of love with his father from all eternity and here he is forsaken turned away when jesus spoke to his disciples whenever they approached the lord they'd say my heavenly father whenever uh, he spoke to anybody about his relationship he'd say it's always father um, but here he's saying my god my god and it's no longer father father but my god there's a, there's a broken, something has broken here. For the time, the Lord turned away from Jesus on the cross because he bore all of our sins. Sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Now accepting all our sin. There's got to be a pill for this I can take, so I don't... <laughs> so verse 2 um, in uh, Psalm, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. In Mark 15, it says about the third hour, which would be 
They started at dawn or uh, about 6 a.m. So the third hour would be about 9 o'clock in the morning is when they crucified Jesus. Matthew 27 says it was about the sixth hour to the ninth hour that there was darkness. So he was already on the cross for about three hours. And, um, and then uh, darkness came. But he had already been scourged. His beard had already been torn from his face and he was no longer even... Able he was, wouldn't even resemble a man, didn't resemble a human being. He's uh, from, from Isaiah 52. Few would survive past the blood loss alone. But now he has taken up and nailed up to the cross on top of that, crying out till midday and then into the darkness. Verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season, in that hour of darkness. And... Um, his father had turned away his face. He was far away. Verses 3 through 5. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. He's pleading to the father, Lord, you saw Israel in their need. They cried out to you. Here I am crying out to you. You've forsaken me. And when they would turn... They would turn and cry out to you and you would meet their needs. You would answer. You would deliver them. You're holy. Those who trust in you and cry out and deliver. But then look at verse 6. He says, but I am a worm, not even a man. No, a worm, no man. In fact, the reproach of men, the reproach, the scorn, because of disgrace and shame, nothing left of dignity, nothing left of pity. It says he was despised. That word despised means disdained, to hold in contempt as despicable, vile, and worthless. And in verse 7 and 8, he says, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Ridiculed, and they mouth off, and they're shaking their heads. Here's the creator of the universe. And here are these that are just ridiculing and mocking. Matthew 27, let's go there now and uh, look at this account. And just for now, verses 39 through 43, 1,000 years before, these things that there's no real account in the book of Kings or Chronicles or Samuel that, that match David's life. There's no other Psalms like this that describe in such detail. And we've not even just started, but uh, verses uh, 39 through 43, it says, Then after those who had passed, and, and those who passed by blasphemed him, it says, wagging their heads, and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. And if you are the Son of God, ridiculing him, mocking him, shaking their heads, will come down from the cross. Likewise, notice these guys, the chief priests, also mocking with the scribes and the elders, and they said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. And he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Um, those who have passed by believe or uh, wagged their heads and all. Jesus was fully aware of this throughout all of this. His place with the Father. The fact that he was in eternity. His deity. Jesus is aware. 
but now taking all this at the hand of mockers and scoffers. With a word, he could vaporize the whole lot, couldn't he? In fact, one day he will in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. All the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and the stars in the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. There's nothing in this universe. They just sent up the, uh, the web telescope, and they're unfolding it now, and they're starting to bring back these pictures. So now they can look even farther and deeper into space in the infrared, and they're able to start to show us all these pictures. They literally say that they are going to be able to see so far back in time by the light that's been traveling that they can find the edge of the universe and they'll know exactly how and when and what happened after the Big Bang. And so mankind believes they're scoffing at us. They're scoffing at the Lord. And yet, what's going to happen there? Um, The Lord said that he's going to roll up the stars and roll up the heavens like a scroll. also says the stars will fall from the sky. He's got that all within his hands. Takes the palm of his hand and the the span of the universe, way beyond anything they'll ever see, fits in the palm of his hand. John 19 tells us that Pontius Pilate, um, that he could have no power at all to do all this to the Lord unless it were given him from above. Back in Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10, just like in verses 3 through 5, says, but you are the one who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. And then, it, just like when he was pleading from, for the deliverance, you delivered Israel, and now from my mother's womb you knew me. Even from the womb, again, uh, life begins at conception. In fact, the the fact that God knows us begins from the beginning of our conception and even before the foundations of the world. He knew who we were before we came to that place. Life, human life is precious. But he, he appealed to the God in light of the deliverance of Israel. And from the cross, now he's forsaken by God and he's looking around. Well, there's Mary and her sister and Mary Magdalene and the others. And he's looking from the cross and he sees, Lord, there's, you knew me from the womb. Can you deliver me? You know, and uh, so first he says, you know, that he would be delivered. And he's just seeking. But God had prepared a body, had prepared God in the flesh from Mary's womb. God incarnate, man and God, 100% fully. But in verse 11 through 13, the Lord had forsaken him. He was far away. But he says, Be not far away from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Now, there's no story about bulls in the gospel accounts, and we're going to look into that. But they're these strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. And it says, They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion, uh, and begins to say he's poured out by water. That's the next one. But first he says there's a serious trouble. So something's going on that's even greater than what he's seen in the what's going on around him. And when he sees and, and uh, his mom and, and all and looks down from the cross, now he's seeing something that is very great trouble. And 
don't, don't be far, Lord. Look at what's going on here. Don't be far. They're encircling me. They're, they gape at we, me with their mouths. They're raging and roaring like a lion. Now, Genesis 6 in verse 4, the Bible says that the Son of God, sons of God, um, took from the daughters of men. And from them, giants were born. Connection or not, I don't know. This is after the flood. But it seems like there's some type of activity going on. Look at how he describes them. They have, they're these strong bulls, but they're from Bashan. In the story of Bashan, without going there, you can find when Moses was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and along through Moab and, and all, they went through, uh, they're on their way to Canaan. They went through Ammon. But in Ammon, they had these, these giants. They called them Zamzuman. And they dwelt in this area, and they were known as the descendants of the Anakim. And you remember David and Goliath. They were descendants of the Anakim. Numbers 13.33, they were also called the Emim. And these were all known as giants. Deuteronomy 2 and 3 details some of their kings and uh, some of the lands that Moses had defeated in the whole area. What we look at today is actually along that Golan Heights and all where he was coming up, where he was going to cross over up by the Jordan, near closer to Galilee. But this is that region where these giants would live. In Deuteronomy 3.11, it says Og, this king of Bashan, remained as one of these giants. His bed was nine cubits by four cubits. Cubits uh, from here to here or so. So let's say a foot and a half. Unless you're the drummer up here, then it's about foot four inches. <laughs> no, Jerry's... Anyways, but I wasn't going to say that. What, where is that from? Anyway, so, <laughs> but that's about 14 feet by 6 feet. And that's his bed. And it's used in the context of Deuteronomy of describing the giant. It's not just some guy who wanted a big bed. It's describing the size of this guy, some 13 to 14 feet. And then, uh, so it's something a little bit different. This is Bashan. These are those... Uh, giants, and who are the bulls that he's talking about in, you know, there's a demonic activity that uh, even Jesus talks about. We know that Satan and the demons knew exactly who Jesus was, and from when Jesus is tempted at, uh, by Satan, and, and also when he cast out the demons, he says, you know, what have you to do with us, son of God? They knew exactly who he was. It says that Satan goes around roaring as a lion, seeking whom, him, whom he may devour. The Bible also says that demons would tear apart anybody who messes with them. There were those that tried to cast these demons out in Jesus' name and in Paul's name, and they says, well, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? And they tore him to shreds, and they ran away naked and bleeding. So we know that from these bulls of Bashan, that there's some type of demonic activity Verses 12 and 13 are describing something much more than just Roman, Roman soldiers and uh, they're sitting and throwing dice around the foot of the cross. So they're surrounding him, completely encircling him, it says, gaping, raging, and roaring. God became like a man, and now he's forsaken. Now he's vulnerable. He's about to die. I think they might have thought they were about to win I think Satan was about to think that he was going to win. Here is the Son of God, and he's going to die. He didn't come to rule, 
this world. His kingdom is not of this world. And so they thought that they might actually be about ready to win. And, but when he, little did they know that that crucifixion, the, that crucifixion that they were looking at, drooling over, that that was going to be defeated. They were going to be defeated at the resurrection. When he defeated death and put away our sins forever, crushing the head of that serpent that was uh, described to Eve, you know, your seed will describe or will, will um, crush the head of that serpent. Leaving Satan powerless, removing the power of sin and death, praise the Lord. Going back to verse 14. And these details are not found in any of the Gospels or in Isaiah 53. It says, I am poured out like water. This is only something that, including the gaping mouths, that only the Lord could testify of what was going on to him from the cross, written by David a thousand years prior. They gape at me with their mouths. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. And you have brought me to the dust of death. And these details aren't found anywhere else. There's no strength left in him. With all that loss of blood from being scourged, few would survive that. And they has been hung on the cross for hours. His bones are all out of joint because he doesn't have any strength left to push up on the nail that's through his feet. And he just eventually buckles. And he can't pull his shoulders back. He can't pull his elbows back in. And everything is out of joint. Very little blood getting to his heart. and It's withering away, melting like wax. None would give him water. He's thirsty. And we've already woke up in the morning with our tongue stuck to the side of our mouths. Can you imagine after six hours breathing through and, and gasping in his tongue? But he says, you, you, Lord, have brought me to the dust of death. You know, it says, to dust we came, to dust we're going to return. Verses 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones because they stare at me and they divide my garments among them. If you turn back to Matthew 27, this is the account given in verses 35 through 36. I don't know of any other scripture where somebody cast lots for clothing that David could have been talking about, prophesying about, a thousand years prior by the Holy Spirit writing Psalm 22. says, Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. David's a prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, and sitting down they kept watch over him there. And it says, you know, if you would go, first of all, who are these dogs that he's talking about? Dogs have surrounded me. Let's turn to Matthew 15, a few pages back. I had to struggle with this for a little while because I'm thinking, you know, the Lord died for the sins of the world, Jew first and the Gentile. Died for the sins of the whole world, including us Gentiles. And I don't know, for whatever reason, and I think we get it from this passage, that the Gentiles were considered dogs to the Jews. Um, but I struggle with that. Here he is on the cross. Why would he be calling those that he's about to die for dogs? But if you look at Matthew fifteen twenty one through 28, it says, 
Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Here she is a Canaanite and not a Jew at all. Should have been taken out of the land back when David was king. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Sure, you know, send her away, you know, for she cries out after us now. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, then she came right back and says, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, But yes, Lord, yet the little dogs are going to eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Not that she was a dog. That's not what Jesus was saying. But that the, the imagery of that which is for the children, that's for the house of Israel, for the, for the house of David. I can't give it to the little dogs, those that are not the Jews. You know, and so it was a picture. But it says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel of Christ is the power of salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And if you turn to Ephesians 2, if you want, I'll just read it. 11 through 18, it says, Therefore remember that you once, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, I like it when there's a but now, in, G- in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Jesus would not look upon the Roman soldiers for whom he was about to die and call them dogs. You know, they were sitting around casting lots. Yeah, they're trading on, the, on that. But, if, you know, so what dogs were surrounding him at the cross? If you go to Isaiah 56, keep a finger in Matthew 27, Isaiah 56, 1 through 12. You know, you go looking through the Word to see what the Word has to say about it. And it's funny, there's not a whole lot of times where dogs are talked about except when, you know, they were, you know, doing something like with Jezebel. He was prophesied that the dogs would, you know, be licking up her blood after she was judged and things like that. And you look through and look at all these examples of what dogs are used about. But here's an interesting insight from Uh, the chapter, entire chapter. I'm going to read through it. Thus says the Lord, and this is salvation for the Gentiles, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of a foreigner, underline foreigner, who has joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Don't let him say that. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree, because he didn't have any descendants. For thus says the Lord, The eunuchs who have kept my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will give 
my house, give in my house, and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and the daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name and shall not be cut off. Also the sons of a foreigner, underline that, join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from uh, defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, underline that. And the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. Now these are the other guys. These are the guys that were supposed to be watching. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. They're sleeping and lying around and loving to sleep and slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And, they're all, and they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain and from his own territory. Come, one says, I'll bring wine and we'll fill ourselves with intoxicating drink and tomorrow will be as today and as much and more abundant. Who are the dogs? The shepherds of Israel that were supposed to be teaching Israel, leading them in the way back in Isaiah. In Matthew fifteen twenty one through 28. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 27. I was looking at the back of my paper wrong. So Matthew 27, 41 through 43. And we read it earlier. Who are these dogs? Well, if, if Isaiah means what I think it means, Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders. You know, he looks around the cross. This is his perspective from the cross. And who does he see that are dogs? You know, in the kingdom of heaven, dogs are without among the liars, among the thieves. If you turn to Philippians 3, 1, just 1 through 3. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe, for, for you it's safety to remind you these things. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. The mutilation refers to those who are, you know, following Paul around as, as he would be uh, preaching the gospel and Gentiles were getting saved and They'd, the Jews would follow him around from synagogue to synagogue where he'd start preaching and then the Gentiles would get saved. They were demanding that they all be circumcised. Now, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to keep the law. You've got to start getting back in line. And that's the mutilation he called, called it. And look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Boy, that's so important, not to have any confidence in our flesh. Many use these passages for false doctrine of preterism, right? I'm talking here about the Jews, talking about the Israelites. But God has not forsaken his people Israel, and for that we need to turn to Zechariah 12. And I'll just read it for sake of time. Zechariah 12, 10 through 14, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me who they have pierced. 
Yes, they who mourned for him as one mourns for an only son. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. And he came to the Jews first. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul goes into detail about that. Has God forsaken the Jewish people? No. Are they any better or any less than we are? Only in that they preserve the word of God for us. They need to be saved. They need to come to Jesus Christ. But when it comes to dealing with him, and that's a whole Bible study in the book of Revelation, and also in Daniel, also in Ezekiel here, and um, we're getting close. When Once again, the Lord will deal with Israel after the rapture of the church. Um, but it says, yes, they will mourn for, for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And in that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad-Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, their family in the house of Nathan in itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, will mourn all the Jews of these families in the day when Jesus puts his foot down in Jerusalem. And they will see and they'll recognize him who they pierced. Is God done with Israel? Not yet. In the time when the Lord is last Gentile has come in and the Lord takes the church out of here, he will begin once again dealing with the church. And chapter 13 and 14 go on about the day of Lord in Zechariah as he deals with Israel and he deals with the house of David. But they will recognize the one who they pierce. Revelation 1, 1 through 7 simply says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must short, shortly take place, and he has sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it. So this is declared the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's being revealed. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, to the ruler of the kings and the ruler of the kings over the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Become, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who, what? Pierced him. You know, God is going to bring salvation once again to the house of Israel, to the house of David like he promised. Back in Psalm 22, Romans 9 through 10, again, Paul describes this in detail. And it's clear that God still is going to deal with his, Jew, for, with his people, his chosen people, Israel. And he's also chosen us before the foundation of the world that we'd have that faith. Verse 19 through 21 begins a final prayer by Jesus on the cross that we have an account of. There are more sayings in the Gospels. 
And there's more that's uh, available in, in Isaiah 53. It says, but you, Lord, don't be far from me. Be my strength. I got no strength. I'm, I'm, his heart's melting like wax. Lord, be my strength. Hasten to help me. Don't be far off. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, those bulls of Bashan, the horns of the wild ox. And then it says, you answered me. His last plea for deliverance, don't turn away. Hasten to help. You know, God can deliver. We talked uh, last week about the strength of God and how we need that strength of God and not to rest on our own strength, not to rest on our own righteousness, but to trust in him and his strength. You know, he says, just about the time the enemy thought he was going to win, he says, then the Lord answered me. In verse 22 through 23, it says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. It says, for he is surrounded by mockers, despisers, ridiculers, headwaggers, dogs, lions, bulls gaping at him. But now he's in the assembly of his brethren, the assembly of those that fear the Lord. It's so good to be in a place where you're surrounded by and you're in the assembly of brothers and sisters who fear the Lord. There's, you can rejoice together. It says you can praise the Lord together. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him, fear him, all you offspring of Israel. Verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. That's for us. He has not hidden his face from us. He, he poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so that we now, no longer will he hide his face from us. No longer will he despise our affliction. And you know, and when we cry to him, in verse 24, he will hear us. In verse 25, he says, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I'll pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord and let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations, the nations, the surrounding nations, the generations, the races of all races shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nation. You know, the Lord Father did hear him and he went to the grave. God raised him from the dead. Jesus was afflicted for our sakes. But notice the, the, the government that the Lord's going to bring. You know, when we look for that government, that it's not going to have the politics. There's no bunch of guys deciding anything else. It's one Lord, one God, one King, one ruler overall. And when he rules, it says he rules with a rod of iron. For a long time, I had a, I don't want to be where there's, I got to have this rod of iron. That's not my thing to be. But it's not like that. He is... All, you know, all knowing, all seeing, all able to judge and judge righteously. When he rules, it's with that love. This is his kingdom that he will uh, establish and that will be a part of. It's not going to be the socialism, the communism, even the democracy and the constitution that we so love is a great document, 
but it's way, way down here. Word of God is over the top of the building and so much greater of a document than our Constitution. When he rules and reigns, it's going to be by his word. It's going to be by his mercy. His mercy will be revealed throughout the generations and throughout eternity, constantly being uh, new things, glorious things of his mercy for us. Isaiah 53 is indeed one of the, if anything, you know, underline or or make note of or make a list of this chapter of whatever it says about us and ours and the many. And what does he do? What did he do for us on the cross? And you just take a piece of paper and you write that list and look at it. Just one, one through seven. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. Nothing special. Average guy. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was acquainted for grief with grief so that he could be our high priest, so that when we struggle in our grief, you know, he is the perfect high priest because he knows exactly what we lived with. He became a man and dwelt with us. Um, despised, rejected, man of, uh, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. It was deformed back in, if you just look in the chapter prior, the last, um, you know, verse 14 in chapter 52. That's where it says, so many were astonished at him. His visage, what he looked like, was marred beyond any man. His form, more than the sons of men. You couldn't even tell he was a human being anymore. They'd beaten him and uh, tore his beard out of his face. Um, Surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows. Born our griefs, that's the top of your list. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord was laid upon him, the iniquity of us all. And he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He opened not his mouth and was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And when they accused him, you know, he didn't open up his mouth until he had to. When Pilate asked him, he says, well, are you the, you know, son of God? Well, he's not going to be silent because he is. But when they accused him of all these different things, he was dumb, silent before those accusers. But we've been healed by those stripes. And he laid all those iniquities, all our iniquities, the sins of the world upon him on the cross. And it says he was uh, like a sheep before its shearers, completely vulnerable. Those that seek him will be satisfied and praise him forever, it says. And he will establish his kingdom. He will rule over nations. We talked about that. His government. It says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It says for the kingdom is the Lord 
in verses 8 through 12, he is taken from prison and from judgment, and all who will and who will declare his generation. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of many people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So it says he was cut off. Whenever that's talked about, it has to do with having any offspring, having any descendants. It says uh, he had no generation. There's, there's, you can't talk about any generation or those that followed after him. And we're going to get back to that. But yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord God shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressions. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for transgressors. He was cut off. He had no posterity, no generation of people. But Psalm 22 Back in Psalm 22, verse 30 and 31, what does it say? It says, a posterity shall serve him, and it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. The very thing Isaiah said was cut off. Well, for the time being, until when? Till us. And they will come and declare his righteous people, his, I'm sorry, his righteousness to a people who will be born who weren't even born yet. That's you. That's me. He says that he has done this. If you go back to verse 6, it says, but I am a worm, not a man. Here he is crying out, Almighty God with the Father from all eternity. And now, not even a man, he's a worm on this cross. The word there is um, tola, it's used for the word worm eight times in the, New, in the Old Testament. If the Israelites would leave their manna overnight and not uh, gather, not eat at all, it would breed worms. That's that word. But 35 times in the Old Testament, it's translated the word scarlet, the word crimson. This, word, this worm, this tola, it would climb a tree or a post and it would permanently fasten itself to that post. Right on the flat, it would lay its eggs there, and it would die. And the, the larvae would eat off of it, and when it would eat, it would, this red fluid, not blood, but just this red fluid, would run down the cross. So they would use this stain, and they would crush these worms to be used to dye the linen, in the tabernacle, the curtains for the linen, the ephod for the Levitical priesthood, all around the walls, the doorposts, the priest's garments. So you get the picture. First Peter 1. 
17 through 21. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, well then conduct yourself throughout your time. You stay here with fear. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your hope and faith are in God. You know, it's also the same word, that word worm or crimson in Isaiah 1, 18. It says, come now, let's reason together. Though your sins are white as snow, or though your sins are scarlet and crimson, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red, though you are red and crimson, or they shall be white as snow, white as wool. Let me read it. It says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And all I wanted to say is, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, you know that he is the Son of God, sent by the Father, died on the cross. Talked about a thousand years before it happened. You know, how do you know God is who he is? Because prophecy. He tells you what happens ahead of time, and it comes to pass. Admit your sinner. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins, and that he rose from the dead. Ascend it to the Father. Call on his name. Confess his name. And you'll be saved. Because at, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Some now, and some too late. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's your word, and I just pray you would do as you see fit as it goes forth. Pray you'd continue to work in our lives, and I pray that this message would go in our hearts to those in our lives that we can share the gospel with them. And we pray, Lord, that you would come quickly and uh, take us to be with you. And until then, draw as many as you see fit to yourself. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.